I want to share two Greek words with you today, wisdom and prudence. I know it sounds like a Beatles song, dear prudence, but it's not. Um, I want to have a close look at these words and what they are. Let me read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. And we'll put it up on the screen here. It says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That, that's wisdom and prudence for those of you with King James. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as we open the scriptures this morning that you'll speak to our hearts and that you'll help us to turn our eyes upon you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I love that. You know, the plan it's talking about here is huge. It's, it's things in heaven, things on earth. It's, it's a huge plan. It's not just God's second-rate choice. It's not God's fallback position. This is the plan revolves around Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing here, he mentions two key words, wisdom and prudence or insight. And linking these words, he links them with knowing the will of God, which he calls the mystery of his will, which is set forth in Christ Jesus. So clearly these two words are very important, but we don't know much about it. And if we want to know God's will for our lives, we need to get into these two words because they're very important. Wisdom and prudence. What are they? What's the difference? And how do they impact our life? Well, first of all, let me say, this is about seeing God's will, <coughs> the mystery of his will. And those of us who know God believe that he has a will for our lives. Don't you? I cannot believe we will come to a God who will just let us run our own way. That's not how he works. He has a will. He has a plan and a purpose to our lives. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, we love to quote this verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to what? To prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So if you're not sure of your life and where you're going, give your life to the Lord because he has a plan to prosper you, to, to bless you, to give you an amazing life. He really does. But it depends on a couple of things. Well, you might know that God says, I have a plan for you, declares the Lord. So he knows the plan. But how many of us know that we don't always know the plan? Is that right? I wish I did. I'd probably have, he probably doesn't show me the plans because I'd try and vary them. I know that's your plan, God, but I think I can do better. That's what we essentially would say when we take matters into our own hands. So God's will is described in today's text as a mystery. Now, the English word mystery comes from the Greek word that's actually used in that context. The word is mysterion, and it means something that is secret or something that is hidden that is not in plain sight. And that's what our, our, our future is like, isn't it? It's not in plain sight. It's kind of hidden. We get to see a little bit ahead, but we don't get to see all the way ahead because we have to walk the road with the Lord. So many people want to know what God's will is, even Christians. Even if they're not Christians, they want to know what the universe's will is. Where did that come from? You know, it's all about the universe. I'll go you one better. I'll introduce you to the one who created the universe. You know, so everybody wants to know what their life will be. What is God's will for their life? People tell me all the time. They say, I don't know why I'm here. Have you ever said that? Why am I here? I don't know why I'm here. People say that all the time. I don't know. I, I seem to have no purpose. I'm not sure of God's will for my life. Well, there are two aspects to knowing God's will. Very simple aspects, and I'll share them with you right now. The first one is listening. 
You can know God's will for your life, but only if you can hear him, if you can hear his voice. See, that's the problem. We oftentimes can't hear or won't hear his voice. We're like men. I mean, some of us are men, but you know, we're like, like my wife always says, you've got a hearing problem. And I say, no, I don't. I hear perfectly. I just don't hear what you say. I'm still listening. I can listen to music and stuff like that. But when she talks to me, it's like, I hear nothing. I hear nothing, you know? And, and that's what we're like. A lot of times all of us are like that. But on a, And see, on occasions, God will speak supernaturally. There'll be a burning bush. There'll be something that jumps out. It'll be written in neon signs. But most often he doesn't do that. You know how he speaks to you? By the word of God. That's how he speaks to you. And so if we're going to understand God's will for, for our life, we have to listen. And we can only listen when we open God's word. It's really important. In my experience, the, Bible, um, God speak, the God of the Bible speaks out of the Bible in my daily Bible readings. I don't randomly sort of open things up. You know, like when I was first a Christian, I get a Bible and I kind of open it up. God, what are you saying to me? And, and then I heard about a guy doing that and he opened it up. Matthew 27 verse 5, which says this, And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, that's Judas, and went and hanged himself. And then he opened it up again. Luke 10, 37. And Jesus said, go ye and do likewise. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you, it's not a good method to find God's will by randomly opening the Bible, okay? But what, what I have found, and many of you have discovered this too, it's easier to hear and understand when you are reading the Bible every day. And I can't tell you the number of times the Bible has jumped out in my face something that I've read on that day, on that very day. It happens all the time in my life. Now, some things are pretty clearly understood, I think, anyway. Like, if you take, for example, the Ten Commandments, they're pretty easy to understand. You know, you read them and you realize that we, we, we should do them and that we don't do them a lot of times. But you, you shouldn't sit around saying, well, I wonder if it's God's will for me to murder that person. Because Exodus 20, verse 13 says... Thou shalt not murder, you know. People used to come to my wife and say, haven't you ever thought of divorcing your husband? She said, divorce? I'm horrified. She said, I've never thought of divorce. I've thought of murder plenty of times, but never divorce. Yeah. But you don't have to sit around and wonder if God wants you to murder someone. You don't have to sit around and wonder if God wants you to steal or be envious or covet someone else's stuff because it's all there in Exodus 20. It's quite simple. You don't have to wonder about God's will because it's very, very plain in those areas. In fact, interestingly, even people who don't know God have these standards built into them because we are wired that way. So I meet people who are, who are not Christians, who are very anti-God, they hate God, but they still think that it's not right to commit adultery because inside of us we know that it's not right. Because God has placed this into our hearts. He's placed eternity in the hearts of men. And so even people who don't know God recognize that some of his rules are really, really, you know, important rules. And they're not there to ruin your life. Some people think, well, if I become a Christian, I have to obey all these rules. My life's going to be boring. Not true. Become a Christian. You know, if you think sin is fun, try holiness. I'll tell you. It is incredible. You don't have to look over your shoulder. You don't have to worry about what people... You just live your life and it's incredible peace that you can have in your heart. See, God doesn't have moral laws to mess up your life. He has them there to protect all of us. And that's why they're there. So 
if you want to know what his, his moral will is, read the Word of God. But what about his individual will for you? How do you find that out? You can still listen when you read the Word of God. But it comes down to a second. There's a second key here. And the second key is obedience, obeying God. See, God will lead you into an incredible destiny, but only if you obey him. You know, think about it. If, you, if you're saying to, to your child, hey, come over here, I'll get you an ice cream, and they run off. No, get, get, get back here. Come on, we'll go over here, I'll get you an ice cream. And they run off this way. You, you know, you're never going to get to the ice cream because they're not obeying you. They're not doing what you ask. Why should he show you his will for your life if you don't obey him? I mean, it's simple. You need to obey. As he reveals things to you, you need to obey. See, many times... If you refuse to obey the penalty, God doesn't send a big bolt of lightning out from heaven to go, you're done. Not very often anyway. The penalty for our sin is that we reap what we sow. That's the penalty. And so often people, you know, they, they, they get what they deserve in a sense. Proverbs 1 verse 29 to 31 says this, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, uh, would have none of my wisdom is personified. He would not have none of wisdom's counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own devices. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, do not be, be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that also shall he reap. So if your life is a mess right now, if your life is in disarray, chances are it's the product of your own poor decisions. And one of the great traits of modern society is that we look to blame other people all the time. It's always somebody else's fault. Never mind, it's always that person's fault, isn't it? That's like our whole society at the moment. But we have to sometimes man up and say, you know what? My life is not going so well because I've made really poor choices really dumb decisions and even smart people make unwise decisions but then what happens is people make unwise decisions then they blame God God why are you doing this to me when it's what's happening to you is the result of the decisions that you've made but we blame God for the result you know so I mean think about it it's all the you know, it's pretty common you know a guy goes out he, he, uh, he goes out drinking, he hops in his car, he drives home, he gets pinged for drink driving, and he blames God. Not God's fault. So obeying God is a way to find out his will for your life. If you obey him, suddenly his will will start to roll out in front of you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I love this verse. It's a really cool verse. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, which means being obedient to him, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So if you want to know God's wisdom and God's insight as to how to live your life, you need to listen and you need to obey. It's fairly simple thus far. So let's have a look at these two words, wisdom and prudence, or insight sometimes it's translated. These are key to knowing God's will. When we come to God, we ask Jesus into our life as our saviour, which means that we are brought back, back from death by the blood of Jesus, and we are set free from death and from hell. But he also comes in as Lord. Lots of people want him as a saviour, but we don't want to make him Lord. But if we don't make him Lord, we miss this incredible opportunity to gain supernatural wisdom, to live the life that he wants us to lead. 
Now, in contrast to man's empty philosophies, the Apostle Paul declares that the second result of redemption is that God, through Christ, gives us wisdom and prudence, or sometimes written knowledge and insight. But it's really profound. I mean, only through Jesus Christ can we have wisdom and and prudence, genuine knowledge and insight. Men have been groping around, philosophizing and searching for this for years, since the time of the Greeks or before, trying to gain wisdom. Whole of Greek society was built around gaining wisdom. It was all about wisdom. That's what they wanted to get. And the funny thing is, all they had to do was open the pages of God's word, and there it was. But they didn't. They looked in other places. So let's look at these two words. First of all, wisdom. The Greek word for wisdom is the word Sophia. Um, It's a common name these days. how, How many of you know a Sophia here? Okay, well, their name means wisdom. They may not act like it, but their name means it. But it's a very important word word to the Greeks. It spoke of a quality or attitude rather than an action. Its basic meaning, as Aristotle said, is the knowledge of the most precious things. So while Aristotle didn't know what true wisdom was, he was on the right track. He referred to a deep knowledge, a deep learning. Uh, and he writes, and I quote Aristotle here, it implies cultivation of mind and enlightening under, enlightened understanding. In other words, Sophia speaks of the deep things of God, the things that really matter, the things that really matter in life. It's a level of wisdom that you just can't get anywhere else except from the Lord. Okay, and it's, it's a deep understanding of life. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 to 10 says this, It is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And and you would know people that exhibit incredible wisdom. I think of my father. My father was a great guy. He's a smart guy. And he was a farmer. So in a lot of ways, he was a simple guy as well. So while he couldn't recite pi to the 10th decimal place, he couldn't prescribe complex medications, he couldn't tell you how far away the moon was, and he couldn't make a million dollars on Bitcoin. But he knew stuff, and it was really deep stuff. He knew God, he knew life, and he knew stuff that was really, ultimately, incredibly important in life. He had a wisdom and a depth of of the things of God that, that I still have not obtained today in some ways. And the book of Daniel describes it in this way. This is how Daniel describes God. Listen to this, Daniel 2.22. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what it is in the darkness and the light dwells within him. So if you are doing the Bible reading plan, which I hope you are, we'll get to that in a minute. But today's reading was Psalm 42. And it reminded me because... It's a very special psalm, especially to my wife, Fiona. Let me read verse 7 to you. It says this, Deep calls to deep at the roar of the waterfalls. Now, there's a bit of a story. This is how God works. This is so cool. This is a day in in the life of our Bible reading. But some years ago, I used to always call Fiona, Oh, Deep One, because she's she's a counselor you know I get up in the morning she says good you know I say to her good morning how am I feeling today you know because she knows deep stuff and she's a deep person and how many of you guys know that we'd like to talk about important things like football but not deep things like how you feel is anyone with me are you all that sensitive guys come on I do not believe that not for a minute Anyway, I used to call her Oh Deep One because she always wanted to have a deep and meaningful talk. And I didn't. Um, 
Now, we just moved into state and one day she was actually doing a painting and she was painting a waterfall and um, she was feeling a little bit lonely because we'd only just moved. She had, we hadn't met anybody in the new place. And she said, she said to the Lord, she said, I've got no one to talk to. And she felt God say to her, you can talk to me. And so she went to her Bible and did her daily Bible reading and that verse came up, deep calls to deep at the roar of the waterfalls while she was actually painting a waterfall. Can you believe that? Isn't that cool? That's what God is like. See, wisdom is knowing the deep things of life and only God can give you true wisdom. Even smart guys make dumb decisions. If you don't believe me, watch the news. You know, there's plenty of famous celebrities that are loaded with money and they, you know, they make dumb decisions. But we need to get wisdom. James 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So do you lack wisdom when it comes to situations in your life? Because if you do, the Bible says, ask God, and it will be given to you. What's prudence then? Let's look at prudence. Prudence, the word in Greek is phrenesis. And it's another important concept to the Greeks. Its basic meaning is it's a way of thinking, frame of mind, intelligence and good sense. But it is often described more fully as discernment and judicious insight. What prudence is, is being able to see beyond just the knowledge of a thing to see how it can be applied in a practical way. Some people are so deep that they don't do anything practical. Prudence is what goes with that. Aristotle defined it as the knowledge of human affairs and of things in which planning is necessary. And another Greek philosopher, Plutarch, called this the practical knowledge of the things that concern us. See, we could therefore translate the word prudence as insight or even discernment, which means to sift. That is the ability to apply wisdom in a practical sense that actually makes a difference in your life. You can have all this deep knowledge... You can be a deep person, but if you don't apply it to your life, it's worth nothing, isn't it? That's, so, so they go together. Wisdom is knowing the deep things of God and prudence is applying them in your life. You know, here's a good example. Joseph. You remember Joseph in the Bible, the, the closing chapters of Genesis? Now, he had incredible wisdom and the Pharaoh knew that because he had these dreams. No one could answer the dreams. And Joseph came up and he knew these incredible deep things of God, this amazing insight that only God could give him. But it didn't stop there. Because applying that, do you remember that he saw, you know, the, the seven uh, well-fed cows and then the seven lean cows ate them? And the same with the storks, right? Joseph not only had the knowledge of that, but he was able to apply it because he realized there was going to be seven years of, of, of provision and then seven years of famine. And so he was able to take that knowledge and prudently apply it to actually sustain them right through those seven years of famine. Wisdom applied. So the getting of wisdom and prudence. If, you, if you're talking wisdom, you have to think of the book of Proverbs. And it's a, it's, a, it's a book where wisdom for many chapters in there is personified as a woman. I'm sorry, guys. I think there's something in that. Wisdom is personified as a woman. I don't know why. I have not got enough wisdom to figure out why. 
but it is not a man. Sorry, guys, it is a, uh, a woman. Proverbs 4, verses 5 to 9 says this. Get wisdom, get insight. There's those two words again working together. Do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her wisdom and she will keep you, love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you do, get insight. Prize her greatly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a beautiful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. You see, wisdom and prudence go together. The deep things of God applied in a practical way. So Paul uses these two terms in Ephesians 1 to show that the believer has been given both wisdom and insight to thoroughly equip him for life, but only if we choose to take a hold of it. So Sophia emphasizes the deep knowledge of God. You know, things like God's, God's truth, life and death, God and man, life, um, sin and righteousness, heaven and hell, that sort of stuff. That's that deep knowledge that you can get of God. That's wisdom. Does the world know anything about those things? Not really, but the believer does. And then phrenesis, the, the other one, emphasizes how to make it all practical and apply it to your daily life. Depth is important, but what is good is, is deep knowledge that is applied to life. The two are beautifully intertwined. Isn't it incredible? And it's right through the book of Proverbs. It's right through Ephesians. You know, wisdom and, and prudence, the, the practical application thereof. So the question is, as I wrap it up, how do I get wisdom and prudence? Obviously, they're attractive qualities, even to those in the world. It's really interesting. You know, people will... I remember I've been attacked for being a Christian. I've been told that I'm, I'm deluded, told that I'm brainwashed. Anybody here receive that at any time? told that I'm going nowhere, all this sort of stuff. But when things go south, when people are really in need, they kept turning to me for wisdom. In fact, the phrase was used, you seem to have a hotline to God. <laughs> yes, I do. His name's the Holy Spirit. But, you know, they, they knock us and attack us. But if things go south, trust me, Jesus is still the answer. He's still the answer. So when things go south, they seek wisdom and prudence from us. Clearly, God wants us to possess these two admirable qualities in increasing measure. But how can you do this in a practical sense? Now, I've already shared that the mystery, the, the, the secret to the mystery of knowledge is listening to him and obeying him. And I've already revealed that listening and obeying is about knowing the word of God. So I'm going to suggest to you this morning, and I believe this, that if you want wisdom and you want prudence in your life, if you want God to lead you and guide you in a practical way, then you need to open up the word of God and start reading it, folks. If this is all about God's word. There is an incredible verse in Hebrews 4 verse 12. If you've got a Bible, look this one up. This is an amazing verse. Hebrews 4 verse 12, let me read it to you. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what is that about? Let me tell you, if you're not reading God's word regularly, you are missing out on wisdom and prudence in your life. You are missing out on God leading and guiding you because you're never talking to him and allowing him to speak back through his word. The Bible is not just a way of hearing God. Remember the, the, the armor of God in Ephesians 6? There's only one offensive weapon, and it's the word of God. It's an offensive weapon. Don't believe me? Look at Jesus when he was tempted by Satan. 
What did he use? Scripture. Because he knew the deep things of God, but then he took them and applied them in a practical way. And it was Scripture that he answered the devil with time and time again. But how are you going to answer the devil with Scripture if you don't know any? How are you going to do that? Clearly you won't. So the Bible is our offensive weapon. It's not just a, a love letter from the Lord. It is, but it's not just that. It's not just rules and, and it's not just convi- It is an offensive weapon. Now, I'm not advocating that you go down to the main street of Nambour and start smashing people with a leather-bound King James Bible. That's not that sort of offensive weapon. Although some folks might think that's okay. But it describes us, the Bible describes itself in Hebrews as being living and active and razor sharp. It's not a dusty old book on a bookshelf somewhere. It is God's wisdom that cuts to the heart of man and to the heart of his sin. It really does. And if you have his word hidden in your heart, then you'll find it'll pop out all the time. I've actually found that myself. I I will often, you know, I've I've memorized a lot of scripture and that sort of stuff. It just pops out all the time. I'll be in a situation or talking to someone and scripture will start flowing out of my mouth. Why? Because it's in there for starters. But you can't, if you can't put it in there, you don't have it to call upon. See, this verse describes the Word of God penetrating or piercing the soul and the spirit. What does it mean to pierce the soul and the spirit? Well, let's have a look at those. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And many people live out of their souls. Even Christians live out of their souls. Mind, will, and emotions. So let's have a look at them. They're controlled by their mind, by their intellect. They think they know better than God, so they do what they want. Their will. They say, okay, God, I know God wants me to do this, but I want to do it my way. I did it my way. You know, that's what people are like. Frank Sinatra had a a song for everybody right there. We all want to do it our way. And the third thing is emotions. How many people do you know that live out of their emotions? They're up one minute, they're down the next. They're always offended by something. They're super sensitive and offended by stuff. They're living out of their emotions. So mind, will, and emotions, that's your soul. And many people, even Christians, live soulish lives. In fact, Paul describes it in Ephesians 4 like this. Their children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. See, some people, they, they, they just fall for anything. Because they're not grounded in the Word of God. Now, most people, um, including most Christians that I know, and myself at, in, indeed at times, live out of our soul. And so you'll, if you live out of the soul, your life becomes a chaotic roller coaster of stuff. How many of you here know that? Up one minute, down the next. You know, it's, it's, it, this is what our life is like because we're living out of our soul. Your spirit on the other hand, is the real you. It's the inner you. Your spirit is the thing that connects with God. That's your spirit. When you pray, that's your spirit. And, and that's what connects you to God. Living by the spirit results in a completely different fruit. You know what the fruit of the spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're the fruit of a life that's lived out of the spirit. So the choice is is there for you. Do you want to live out of the soul or do you want to live out of the spirit? 
Do you want to see soulish things in your life? You know, emotions. And, um, you know, Josh always rips me when I say this. But, you know, so to many Christians, how are you doing? They say pretty good under the circumstances. You go, well, what are you doing under there? You know, we should live above the circumstances. But we don't. We live under the circumstances. And that's because we're living soulish lives. You know? But if you live out of the spirit, all of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control just comes. It just happens when you most need it. The word of God divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes. If you're not sure, if your thought life is, is soulish or spirit-filled, the word of God will judge that. If you're not sure if your attitudes are right, the word of God will judge that. It says it will. And it judges each thought and attitude. You, you are not the product of your circumstances when you live out of the Spirit. You're the product of God's grace. I believe we need to live above the circumstances, don't you? I believe we need to live out of our spirit, not our soul. And there is always a tension. You always get sucked one way or another. You always have good days and bad days. Does anybody here not have good and bad days? Because I know I you know, I, I have some great days and I have some days that are just terrible. That's what it's like following my football team. You know, it's just terrible sometimes. <laughs> so today I want to encourage you to press into God, to read his word and to seek wisdom and prudence from God. Not your own wisdom, not worldly wisdom, but wisdom and prudence from the word of God. Remember, wisdom is the deep knowledge of God and prudence is the practical application of that knowledge. And we need both to make known the mystery of God's will in our life. That's what the word of God says. And there is much at stake. I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. Does anyone here not need wisdom? I know I need wisdom. Just moving from our church building from here down to the, it requires incredible wisdom. And I come home some days, Fiona will tell you, and I just sit in the chair and just fall asleep. And I, I keep saying to her, I'm on overload. I use this word overload because there's so many things to think about. It just does my head in. I need God's wisdom. I need to not live out of my soul trying to intellectually feel. I need God's wisdom and I need his prudence to apply it in my life. And we all need that. You need that in your marriage, in your home. You need that with your children. You need that, kids, you need that with your parents, your jobs, your studies. We all need wisdom, don't we? There's only one way, I believe, and that is to read the word of God. And I want to encourage you two things. One, we have a Bible reading plan. And if you are not reading the Bible every day, this is a great opportunity to start. Beth has it over here while you're over there checking out the, the books and that sort of stuff. We have a Bible reading plan there. And what it is, is we go right through the Bible from cover to cover in one year, hitting the highlights. So it's, you know, not everything is in there. We skip out bits of the Bible. So if you really love, if you want to learn about skin diseases in Leviticus, God bless you, but it's not in that reading plan. Okay, but it is practical stuff. It is it moves around. It's exciting. It's it's uh, and God speaks to me every single day out of this. It's just incredible what God says to me out of this and how I can apply it to my life. But that's available for you over there. It's also on our website. It's also on our app. In fact, if you are so modern that you can't write or read paper, it's on the app. And in fact, if you go to the Bible reading plan on the app, the app is free to download. If you go to that, all you have to do is hit the verse and it all comes up for you. You haven't even got to turn a page to get there. We're not lazy, are we? We're just modern. 
So I want to encourage each and every one of you to read the Word of God. If you do, wisdom will flow. Prudence will be everywhere, in your life, in your homes, in your marriages. But if you don't, you are living out of the, the soul, not your spirit. So I want to encourage you to read the Word of God. And I also want to pray because I know some of you here face very big decisions right now. It might be about home. It might be about family. It might be about health. I don't know. But I want you to make a decision that is full of God's wisdom. That's what I want for you. And only he can give you that wisdom. But I believe we can pray for it, don't you? Word of God says that. Why don't you bow, bow your heads with me? Lord, we know you are the giver of wisdom. You are the giver of prudence. You are the one who, who can show us the deep, incredibly meaningful things of life. And you are the one who can help us to apply it in our life. And right now, Lord God, I just pray for all the situations represented in this room. For the big decisions, the, the things that we need your wisdom to do. Decisions we need your wisdom to make. Not ours, not man's, but your wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. If that is you, if you are facing a decision right now that is, that is big, maybe with your health or with your home or something like that, jobs, I don't know, I'm just going to ask you where you are to stand up where you are. So just, just continue in an attitude of prayer. But if you're facing choices and you need God's wisdom, I'm going to ask you to stand wherever you are. Just quickly, there's many of you in this situation, I know. We're not going to get you to the front. We can't do that here. But I know many of you are facing this right now. Are there any more? Just stand if you're facing, you know, life-changing decisions, really important decisions. Father, I just pray that you would look now upon those who are standing and the decisions that they make. Just put your hand out to each of these folks or lay your hands on them if you're close. And just, we'll just pray for them. Father, we just pray, Father, for your wisdom, your supernatural wisdom, Lord. We ask that you would just pour your Holy Spirit upon these folks, Lord, as the decisions that they make will be godly decisions, full of prudence, practically applied, deep knowledge. And Lord, we pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them and guide them. They are standing because they are following you. They're standing in obedience to you. And Lord, I pray that as they face these decisions, that they will do so with complete peace in their heart. Josh spoke a couple of weeks ago about this anxiousness that we face. Well, Lord, I pray right now that you would open the door for them to be at peace in their heart, to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present their request to you. And Lord, the peace of God that transcends all understanding would guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they're in wisdom and that wisdom is being applied to their life. Lord, I pray your blessing upon these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.